Well, good morning, everyone. Always a joy to bring the word of God to God's people. Let's pray and get into this text today in James. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have given us so much. Help us, Lord, to appreciate uh, the little things, whether it be shoes, clothes, and coffee, and Lord, most importantly, a place that we can gather and, and hear from you, ultimately through your word. And so we pray, Lord, you use me today for your glory. Um, pray for anyone going through hardship, uh, any struggles, difficulties, Lord, be with them and uh, convict us now, Lord. Help us to uh, be humble and to see this text um, as you have it here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prostitutes. Can God ever use someone that has been so unholy? I want you to turn with me to Matthew 21. We're going to look at verses 28 to 32. And it should really set up the tone for our text in James today. So go to Matthew 21. Verses 28 to 32. We have here a parable of two sons. Let's read it. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he did go. Then the man came to the second son and said said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? And so they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. And so salvation, we see, is offered to all types of sinners, even the worst. Sinners with a terrible past can be forgiven of all their sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We learn in this parable that those who trust in Jesus will be changed. They will begin to do the will of God. I mean, at first they weren't, right? I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow you. But then we see that they obey later. They begin to do God's will. And so far we've been learning in the book of James that blessed doers do the will of God. And today we're going to learn James' second example of living faith. The living faith of Rahab, a woman of faith. Last week we learned about a man of faith, the living faith of Abraham. We were encouraged to examine our own faith. We know that Abraham's faith was perfected by works... What did he do? He offered up his son Isaac because that's what God commanded him to do. He was obedient. He was submissive to the will of God. And we also know that Abraham was reckoned as righteous because of his faith in God. He believed and then he was tested and he was proved to be a friend of God. This week we will observe another example of faith. This time it will be from a woman. Rahab, we will compare her with Abraham to better understand why James uses her as an example. We will also go to the book of Joshua and observe the works that Rahab uh, demonstrated by faith. 
Then we're going to consider the illustration James uses to summarize this whole section about faith and works. And we're going to see that he's going to restate that main idea again one last time. So let's begin by reading in James chapter 2, verse 25. James chapter 2, verse 25. We only have two verses today. Let's look at the first one here. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? In this verse, I want us to examine Rahab's life. I also want us to think about why would God use such a sinner like her? She was a harlot, a prostitute, but she was also a hero. After reading about how she helps two of God's people, those two spies, we're going to discuss the ethical issue about Rahab's lie. Right? We're going to have a discussion slide on that. So look again at verse 25. The text begins with, in the same way. This is another example of how real faith works. James just gave us an example of living faith of Abraham the patriarch. And now he's going to give us another example of living faith with Rahab the prostitute. The text continues in verse 25. Was not Rahab? This is exactly how he began the other example. If you look at verse 21. Was not Abraham? So clearly, both Rahab and Abraham are part of the same faith. Both are tested, both are vindicated, and both are in the hall of faith. However, I want you to observe uh, the differences of the examples. One is a man, one is a woman. One is at the beginning of the covenant regarding the promised land, and one is about to see God's people come into the promised land. One is a major Bible fi uh, figure, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Abraham, Abraham. And another is just a minor participant. One is the father of the faithful. One is a foreigner. One is respected and one is disgraceful. And so James introduces his first example as Abraham, our father, right? You saw that in verse 21. Abraham, our father. His second example is Rahab, the harlot. So there's a huge contrast in introducing the characters. One would think that James is being insensitive here. But I believe James is making a point about how amazing God's grace is. He can save anyone, even a prostitute, from Jericho. Jericho was one of the principal seats of idol worship, being especially to, devoted to this moon god, uh, Ashtaroth. And in Jericho, the idolatry just ran wild with all its sinful pleasures and practices. And so this shows that God can save anyone. God can save the lowest of the low. He can save the poor, the naked, the widow, the orphan. He can save anyone, even those deep into sexual sin. And so Paul reminds us in Corinthians of this truth as well. That he can save anyone. If you know Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, the context of the Corinthians, they were doing lots of different sins. You know, uh, the son-in-law with the mother-in-law. Lots of sins. And so this is what Paul says at one point. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers nor infeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, uh, no revilers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so, so many different categories of sin, yet they're all 
have the same destination, the lake of fire. But this is where the hope is. Paul tells the Corinthians, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so yes, Rahab was a harlot, but she has been washed, sanctified, and justified. And God will use this woman with such a huge sinful past, and we're going to see how she is a hero. All right, so turn to Joshua 2, Joshua chapter 2. We are going to read the whole chapter. I know it's a lot of reading, but I think it will be really good for us to understand the story of Rahab. So Joshua 2. Really, it's Joshua 2 to 6, but we're not going to read four chapters. Um, And so I'll go slow here, but I just want you to get it. I want you to see it. So let's look at Joshua 2. We'll read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 24. And so then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land. So here we have Joshua. Before they go into the promised land, we know Moses is dead. Joshua's taking over his place. And so before they go, they're strategic. They're wise. we got to go see the land. How are we going to invade and all that? Where's their weak points? All that stuff, right? Typical war. And so they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. So they're staying at the house of a harlot. And obviously it will be, you know, probably harder to find someone there. Verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Now, word gets out here, right? There's two people, uh, obviously Israelites, they've, someone saw them, right? And so now word gets out, and the king of Jericho knows, uh-oh, there's sons of Israel here. Verse 3. In Joshua 2. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you. You have entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. And so here's the king of Jericho saying, Time out. We have a situation here. We know uh, these people are in Rahab's house. And we need to get them. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Okay. So now we see Rahab is not on the side of the Canaanites, but on the side of Israelites. She's hiding them. And she said, okay, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. All right, so we're going to talk about the ethical issue of her lying and all that stuff, but just continue. Verse 5. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. And so she's saying, well, they left. Not here anymore. But we know that they were there. Verse uh, 7. So the men who were going out to try to find uh, the two spies pursued them on the road to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. All right. So what happens? Verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came out to them on the roof and said to the man. So if you look back here in the PowerPoint. She is hiding them on her roof, right, with that hay. All right. And verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Okay. Hmm. Seems like Rahab's a believer here. And that the terror of you has fallen in us, and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. That's going to be key in verse 24. They've melted away before you. Right? They're scared. Verse 10. For we have heard... Now, 
she has heard about the God of Israel. Look at this. How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were with you beyond the Jordan. And so we see that Ab uh, Rahab sees that, man, the God of Israel, God is with these people, with these Israelites, because clearly they're winning victories and, and doing miracles. And so she is believing in this God. And, I, and I, I really like the key here. Look at verse 11. When we heard our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you, and here it is, for the Lord your God, right, Lord, translation, Yahweh, right, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So here we have a pagan um, society that believes in so many different gods, like the moon god. And she's saying, no, your God is the true God. Verse 12. Now, therefore, please swear to by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give to me a pledge of truth. And so... Um, I'll, I'll summarize the, the rest of the story here. Rahab tells the spies, I know you're going to come. I know you're going to take over this land, protect me and my family. And so the spies obviously honor her request. I mean, she saved their lives. She hid them in the top of the roof. King of Jericho, if they found them, I mean, goodbye. And so the spies say, as long as you stay in the house, you'll be fine. And they, and they specifically tell her to put a, a, a scarlet thread. And so we'll get to the end of the story in a second. But just fast forward here to verse 22. So they departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. And so it was three days. Um, and, and that's what Rahab suggested because she knew their whereabouts. She knew that they were going to be looking for them at least a couple days. Verse 23, then the two men returned and came down from the hill country, crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they related to him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, surely the Lord has given us all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. And so this just stirred up more confidence and faith. Yes, they're scared, they're worried, and, and Rahab was a huge part of that, of the victory that we're going to see in a, in a second about Jericho. And so in this text, Joshua 2, I'll sum it up, we learn more about Rahab, the prostitute of the Canaanite city of Jericho. The context of the story is that the Israelites were on their way to the promised land to conquer it. Jericho was that most important Canaanite forest city in the Jordan Valley, right? If you get Jericho, you'll get the rest of the land, essentially. And Joshua was following the command of God to cross the Jordan into the land that God was going to give to his people. And so um, we see here, before entering the land west of the Jordan, Joshua sent two spies to look over the land. The king of Jericho heard that two Israelite spies were within his land, ordered them to be brought to him. And then Rahab, the woman whom... Uh, the spies were staying with, protected them by hiding them on their roof. She told them how the citizens of Jericho were fearful of the Israelites ever since they defeated the Egyptians when they crossed that Red Sea um, with that miracle, of course, of the splitting of the water about 40 years ago. And so she learned the correct saving conclusion that 
God, Yahweh, is the God of heaven above and on earth. And she, be, she believed in that God of Israel and in him alone. And she no longer believed in that moon goddess and the other pagan religions. And so she agreed to help the spies escape, uh, provided that her family was also protected. And so the spies agreed, and uh, they obviously uh, eventually um, will get there in Joshua 6. But before we get to Joshua 6, I want you to look at these maps here. Uh, just to kind of give you a picture of the story. So they're over there uh, in Joshua 2, the Israelite camp. And then Joshua sends uh, the two spies, and they cross over the uh, Jordan River. And so they go all the way here to Jericho. This is where Rabahab hides the spies. And then they go around and come back, talk to Joshua. And then we have here, uh, they're at the camp. And so now everything's good. Yes, we're going to go conquer the land. They're scared, shaking in their boots. And then for three days, uh, Joshua's going to cross over the Jordan River. And here's, here's the cool part. Um, we kind of always talk about the Red Sea with Moses. Here, they also experience a miracle. God provides a miracle for all of them to go and cross over the Jordan River um, with the water subsiding. And so they come and they go to this Israelite camp, probably a little bit north of Jericho. And uh, if you read uh, Joshua 2, 3, 4, and 5, you'll see that um, they have to be circumcised. God uh, reminds them of that covenant, that promise, because back then in Egypt, they weren't allowed to get circumcised. Remember, this is 40 years later. This is with another generation. That first generation wasn't obedient. They were grumbling. Even Moses got angry and wasn't allowed to the promised land. And so uh, we have Joshua, we have Caleb, and we have the young generation taking over. Um, and so they get circumcised at an older age. Uh, it's quite painful. But um, they end up going to Jericho. And uh, God gives uh, Jericho this land to Joshua. And we're going to see, um, it's, it's a beautiful story of how it happens, right? The seven times. Let's, let's read it. So go to Jer uh, Joshua 6. Joshua 6, verses 15 to 25. And I just love this because it's right in the midst of Rahab and her doing uh, her walking by faith. So look at here, Joshua 6, 15 to 25. And then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city shall be under the ban and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. And here, here she is. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live. Because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban. So that you do not covet them and take them of the things under the ban. And make the camp of Israel a curse and bring trouble on it. And Okay, so God, again, here we have a principle of holiness. Um, you know, you're supposed to be sacred unto the Lord. And uh, he doesn't want them... Uh, to use that idolatry, pagan material that they had. And so there are specific rules here. And verse 19, but all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. So certain things were okay, and they should go into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20, so the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets. And, uh, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted for a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. Just picture that. I mean, I wish I had a picture here, but... Just picture this huge wall. You're not going to be able to get 
uh, to this city because we're protected by this wall. Well, guess what? God is greater than that wall. God could smash it into pieces in a second. It reminds me of the Tower of Babel and that tower that God just had to look down and stoop down. This little tower. Anyways, um, so they went straight ahead and they took the city. Verse 21. Where's Rahab in all this? They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. And so the men, young men who were spies, were, went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and her brothers and all she had. And they also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Uh, and then verse 25. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So she didn't go back uh, to her old practices, you know, with the Canaanites. Uh, she uh, was faithful, and she continues, and, and we remember this story uh, about Rahab. And so the Israelites, they crossed the Jordan into Canaan, where they led siege to the city of Jericho. The city was completely destroyed. Every man, woman, and child in it was killed. Only Rahab and her family was spared. But we know that they were spiritually saved from so much more. James tells us that she also was justified by works. So last week we learned, right, justification by works. It's, it's about vindication, showing proof, evidence that you're uh, a true believer. And so we see her faith in action in the book of Joshua. And we read, if you go back to James, uh, received. We understand that this word is in an active uh, tense. She could have got killed if she got caught helping the Israelites, but she does it anyway. Again, we also notice that she had faith before her faith was tested. She heard how God saved the people from Egypt, and she trusts in the God of heaven and earth who can deliver. And so she believed that God could even deliver her. Uh, from her sins. And so like Abraham, her faith was put to the test and she passed the test. So with this example, James reminds us of his Jewish audience that yes, God can also save Gentiles, right? God is not just the God of the Jews. He's also the God of the Gentiles. And so this example of living faith proves that Rahab is a follower of God. She is listed with the people of God, just like Joshua um, and all those who had faith um, if you look at Hebrews 11, you'll see it there. Remember, seven times, and, and the walls of Jericho come down. They're in the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 30, we're told, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. So the people of God there had faith, and boom, the walls of Jericho fall down. But the writer of Hebrews could have easily... Just left Rahab out. Oh, I don't want to mention about Rahab the harlot. No, people are going to think certain things about me if I write this. No. Um, Rahab is a part of that same family of faith, just like the Israelites. Look at Hebrews 11.31. She's here in the hall of faith. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And so Rahab was not disobedient like the rest of the people in Canaan. 
She believed in the one true God and was willing to risk her life. She was determined to honor God by taking care of his people. This should remind us of the blessed doers who take care of the needy. In this example, Rahab took care of people in great need, right? They were spies, and if they were captured, they would have been killed. But some may question, hmm, Rahab, how did you protect the spies again? Didn't you lie? How can God be honored in the midst of deception? So that's what we want to discuss a little bit more. What do you think? Was it wrong for Rahab to not tell the truth to the king of Jericho and help the spies the way she did? So what do you guys think? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Yeah. You took my example right off, right off my paper. Anyone else? Wait, is it wrong? Go ahead. Say that again. Sorry. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll. But that's good to bring that perspective. You had something, uh, Ben, and then Nancy. No, that's a good. Hey, this is a, a tough issue, I and mean, it's not an easy one. Nancy, you had something. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of debate, and and some people they always look for the. Those controversial parts of the Bible, they don't look at the clear. They don't see, you know, the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. And then they're just like, oh, yeah, 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 I know it says that. But what about these instances where at times, um, in the uh, Abraham case, I think he might have been wrong in the line. But um, there's still some debate on that. But here, I think it's clear. And, and so let me give you a couple of things to think about. There are different ways to tackle this uh, issue. Some believe that although Rahab lied, she did the right thing by choosing the lesser of two evils. Others say that she should have asked for forgiveness after she lied because it's a sin, but she still did the right thing. I prefer the argument that states that she was not obligated to tell the truth in this case. Those who do evil are not owed the truth. We also need to take into consideration the context of the situation. It was during war. Um, and we know that we're advocates of self-defense, right? So let's think about it this way. Um, kind of like Linda said, if a murderer or thief came into your home and said, where are your wife and children? I'm here to steal and kill them. You wouldn't tell them that information. They're not owed the truth. You would probably do something like Rahab, point them in a different direction. And so I believe Rahab did no wrong in this situation. If anything, she was wise and she trusted God during this time. All right, any other questions or comments about anything we spoke about so far before we move on here? Yeah, better. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that's, an, that's another opinion that, well, as long as you're always seeking to honor God, um, he'll honor, you know, because he's sovereign and he's in control and he would have still made it where the spies would have been safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like I said, um, some of these, you know, we might not get answers to it. Um, like I said, like Beto said, there, there. If you're trusting God, um, God's gonna take care of the outcome. But in this case, I do believe um, Rahab had no other choice. I think it was the best thing. It was the wisest thing to do in the situation, um, and God, God could use it. And if you want to argue, it was a sin. We know God uses sin sinlessly, um, but I believe, um, like I said, I, I don't think she sinned in that case. Uh-huh. Sure. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the assumption is that um, it's kind of like in a Christian home when you grow up, you know, you're going to be under the teaching of Scripture. You're going to be under the, And so you're more likely to be saved than a, a house where there's pagans and they're not teaching the word and they're just going to go their way. And so I think the principle is there. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a good point. Let's, let's continue here just because of time. So first application here is that we learn from the story of faith that a person with living faith makes wise decisions. We see that Rahab had to think critically to protect the spies, and she came up with this good plan to make sure the spies were secure. Ultimately, we know that this wisdom comes from God. We observed that she had some quick thinking, and she acted, and although it was a dangerous move, we know it was the right move. God blessed her for her actions. The second application is that a person with living faith is active in good works. Rahab wasn't a person who simply said she believed in God. She showed it by her willingness to protect people she never met before. She heard about how God did great miracles, and now she's demonstrating that she believes by welcoming these spies in peace. And we know she could have easily betrayed them if she wanted to. Her faith will be remembered. Now the question for us is, does our faith demonstrate this type of trust in God? Even if it means we have to turn our back on our upbringing, our sinful culture, or occupation, or the idols we once worshipped. So let's continue here to our last verse in chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 26. Uh, let's read it. Alrighty. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So in this verse, we have another, another illustration from James. This will help us understand the main idea for one last time. It's like all these examples led to this main point. So look at verse 26. James gives us another dark illustration about faith without works. The first illustration had to do with someone not taking care of others in need. We saw that in verses 15 and 16. And remember what they say. They, they give them a blessing. God bless you. God's going to provide. And they send them away, right? Their own brother or sister, they were that cruel. They didn't care. 
in that first illustration. The second illustration is with demons, right? In verse 19, they tremble before Jesus. They believe, but they do not have a relationship with God. In that example, we learned that no incorrect doctrine doesn't mean we're saved. This last illustration of dead faith comes right after two examples of living faith. It has to do with the body and the spirit. And so the audience, they're quite familiar with these uh, subjects, right? With the resurrection and all that of the body uh, and the spirit, obviously. And they believed in both of them. And so the body, we already observed in the first illustration. And in that illustration, James focused on the necessities of the body, right? Clothes, food. Without it, people in need would die. And so the assumption is that those that do not care for them will be judged. That faith cannot save him. So we remember that from the first illustration. But in the second one, we observe, remember the demons? A spirit without a body. And so the demons, we know, will not have a physical death, but they will be judged as well. And so will everyone who thinks they just need to believe in the correct doctrine to be saved without any evidence of true saving faith. So in this last illustration, we observe a body without a spirit. And so James takes it this, this step deeper here with his first illustration of the body. The body not only needed clothes and food, the body needs a spirit. Without the spirit, the body is dead. Maybe you've seen this before in a person. Sadly, you know, you have someone close to you, uh, a relative maybe, and they die in front of you. You look in their eyes and, and they're not there anymore, right? It's just a body now. And so James wants us to think about our faith as a body. If it has no works, it's a corpse. It's a dead faith. And so the illustration brings us back to the main idea of our section, right? What did we see in verse 17? Faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 20 stated, faith without works is useless. And so here in verse 26, James states it one more time directly. Faith without works is dead. And so faith that does not reveal itself in works in a changed lifestyle that glorifies God, but rather seeks after its own desires, after whatever their heart wants, that is lifeless, it's useless, and it's worthless. And so the illustration paints another analogy. Faith corresponds to the body and works to the spirit. If there is no spirit in the body or no works in the faith we possess, then it's dead. And so James started with this question, if you go back to verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? And he ends this section of faith and works with the answer, faith without works is dead. All right, any questions or comments before we come to a close on our applications? Faith without works is dead. I know we did this for three weeks. I kind of try to hammer it home here. But just remember that. Faith without works is dead. All right, no comments? All right, our last applications in James 2. A person with living faith is a person who has complete faith. You are either a Christian or you're not. There is no such thing as a 50% believer and a 50% unbeliever. If you truly believe in Christ, your faith will show it. It will not be useless. Uh, you, you would be, as Ephesians 2.10 we learn, uh, a person created for good works in Christ. The last application is that a person with living faith is alive to do good works. Believers are not bodies without a spirit. 
they are alive. They're spiritually alive to do good works for God. And so, let's do all we can to serve God and his people. In conclusion, we learn that Rahab's example of living faith demonstrates that her faith is not dead like a body without a spirit. She believed in God and she received the spies and deceived the king of Jericho. I want us to go to the Gospel of Matthew to notice one more place where we find Abraham and Rahab. And we'll end with this scripture. So go to uh, Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 1. About the genealogy of Christ. Yes, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 was nice, but what about this lineage of Christ? This is going to be amazing. We're going to see it here. Matthew 1. We'll read verses 1 to 2 and then 5 to 6. I want you to see how Abraham and Rahab are connected here. And so the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so then we start here with Abraham, right? The patriarch of the fathers. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Rahab, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And then jump to verse 5. After many years, what do we got? Uh, Salmon uh, was the father of Boaz by who? Rahab. And Rahab was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and we know Jesse's the father of David. And so there you see it, Abraham and Rahab, both used by God, and both point us to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus God came to save sinners. He is not ashamed to be in the lineage of those with a dirty past. He came to save people like us, tax collectors, prostitutes, former murderers and adulterers at heart. Rahab the prostitute had works that were entirely different than those of Abraham the patriarch. But both alike prove that a living faith is a working faith. John Calvin writes, he designedly put together two persons so different in their character to show that no one, whatever may have been his or her condition, nation, or class in society, has ever been counted righteous without good works. And so these last three weeks should have settled it for us. Faith without works is dead. Is your faith dead or alive like Abraham and Rahab? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. Uh, we see here uh, just great examples of men and women of God who trusted you. Lord, many times we can lack faith. Many times we can try to do it on our own. Help us to rely on you. Um, we thank you, Lord, uh, for being with, with us, though we are sinners. Um, and Lord, you are not ashamed to call us your friend. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to